And we think, oh God, death got Betty. Death got my uncle. Death got my grandmother. Death got my father. Death got my mother. But here's the deal for the believer. It says this instead. So that death is this. So that what is mortal, this may be swallowed up in life. What does that mean? It means you're never more alive than when you're dead in Christ. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. Who has given us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. The Holy Spirit in your life. Have you ever, uh, back in the day they used to have this thing called layaway. Y'all remember layaway? All right, lay away. When you didn't have the money to be able to get something, you would put that sucker on hold and you would put a few dollars towards it. It was a deposit because sometime, sometime soon, you would come back and you would pay the rest of it so that you can grab what it is that you desired. Well, God has left his spirit in us as a deposit of what he will one day do either when we die or when he comes back home. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, meaning physically. <clears throat> For we live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home with the body or away from him. For we all and I want this to be our focus. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in this body, whether good or bad. Father, bless the reading of your word. Speak to us deeply, boldly, and powerfully this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever filled out a job application or an application to, to get into school? They want to know your name. They want to know your address. They want to know your education history. They want to understand your work history. And sometimes a bunch of other personal stuff as well. Now, after you give them all of this personal information, and they've done background checks and maybe perhaps even gotten credit reports on you. If all of that comes back okay, they still want you to come in for an interview. Now, why is that? They know that they can know a lot of facts about you and still have no idea who you really are. So before they hire you, they want to know, who are you really? They know the paper, what the paper says. They know what the facts say. They know what the resume says about you. But who are you really? Man, when I look at the church and I see pictures of y'all on Facebook, sometimes I ask myself, who are you really? Suppose for a moment I told you that we had a secret five-minute video of a person who was one thing in church but was an entirely different person outside the church. And I said, I'm going to play the video. And you say, Pastor, I want to see that, man. Start the video. Let's find out who the hypocrite is. 
But let's say that I told you that the secret video is actually of one of you here at Risen King Church. Now, y'all just started thinking, I sure hope it's not me in the video. See, there's a tendency on our part to compare ourselves to others and think we're doing pretty good in our walk towards holiness. We admit to doing a little wrong here and there, but we're nowhere near as bad as those people. In, in the book of Isaiah, God called the prophet Isaiah to preach to the people about their wicked behavior. Isaiah was letting them have it for all of the wrong that they had ever done against God. He even told God, God, they're so bad. If I were you, I wouldn't forgive them. And then a strange thing happened in Isaiah chapter 6. It said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And the first thing that he did when he saw God was he said, woe to me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. For the first time in the entire book, he realized that who he thought he was, was not really who he was. He was a whole lot worse than what he thought he was. See, there's something about being in the presence of God that exposes who we truly are. We find that we are nowhere near as holy as we first imagined or thought that we were. Who we truly are can be seen when we discover our character. Now, character can be defined in, in several ways. Character is who you are when you think you won't get caught. Character is who you are when the pressure is on you to be something else. Andy Stanley defines character as the will to do what's right when it's hard. And character is not something that comes automatically to us. Character involves the will to make a tough decision because it is the right decision to make. So to really answer, who are you really? We need to know about your character. The temptation in our life is to go going about and building a reputation for ourselves. If I can just build a reputation that I'm a good, solid, responsible person, if I can just build a reputation that I am a good Christian, if I can just build a reputation that I'm a good administrator and manager, see, here's the problem. The problem with reputations is that it's built on what other people think about us. It's what we want other people to think and see. Now up until a week before Jesus died, Judas had a reputation for being one of the most 12, one of the 12 outstanding disciples of Jesus. If the book was not written or was not given any type of continuation and it just stopped a week before Jesus died, you would have said, oh my goodness, Judah, what, Judas, what a man of honesty and integrity. Let's put him in charge of the money. If you had ever gone up until a week before Jesus died and gone up and said, you know what? Judas, you're a thief. The other disciples would have gotten out around the table and would have been like, are you nuts? How dare you? This is an apostle of God. He is a man of deep integrity. He is a man of deep honesty. How can you dare 
say any of those things. See, the reality is this, despite his reputation, Judas was a thief stealing money from Jesus and the disciples. You see, his character was different from his reputation. There's even a church in the book of Revelations by the name of Sardis. And Jesus says to that church, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I've not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. You see, the reputation of the church was one thing, but the character of the church was something different. Nothing robs us more for our, from our character than sin. Every time we sin, we give someone else, mainly the devil, power over us that that individual did not have before. I don't know if y'all remember dating or when you used to try to go out. Maybe you had a little brother or a little sister. And your parents would go to your little brother or your little sister. Keep watch over them. And if you did something and they saw it, now they had the power over you. Now you're afraid that they might tell what they know. Now you have to make a deal with them or threaten to ruin them to keep it silent. See, sin takes away our freedom and ruins our character. Your character is important because it gives you the moral authority to speak on issues. Now, don't you dare think that somebody that doesn't know something about you, if you ever try to come up to them and correct them, or ever try to teach them something that they ain't going to call you out on it. First people that are going to call you out is your kids. But you. <laughs> but you just said. See we give away power. When we diminish our character. And our Christian testimony. See all of us have dreams and goals for our life. Oftentimes between where you are now. And getting to where you want to be is a straight line. The only problem is that the shortest route is not necessarily the one that God has approved for you. You can get where you want quicker by doing some things that will harm your character, that will harm your Christian testimony. There are going to be temptations in all of our lives. But if we're going to be a person of character, we have to decide against the temptation before it even arises. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I firmly believe this. Coming to church is not a Sunday morning decision. It is a Saturday night decision. You have the purpose in your heart that this is something that you are going to do. See, the decision can be as faithfully as deciding that I'm going to come to church. Or the decision can be as negatively as deciding that you're going to use drugs. Our character is only going to be as good as the bar by which we measure it. For believers, the standard of our character should be determined by the future hope that we have in Jesus. A good character begins with the fear of the Lord. The Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's a really false notion that everybody who believes in Jesus is on their way to heaven and is going to get a reward when they get there. If you ever ask anybody on the streets, if you ever ask just any random person with a cross on their neck, 
And you say, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, of course I believe in Jesus. Now, if you dug deeper, you probably might realize that they think that Jesus is just one way. And they also believe that Muhammad is somebody else's truth and Allah is somebody else's truth. And this is somebody else's truth and that is somebody else's truth. And we're all destined to the same place. So if you ask me if I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to tell you, yes. But believing that Jesus doesn't get you, believing in Jesus factually doesn't get you any brownie points with God. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that even the devil and his demons believe and tremble with fear. That should be scary to us. Even doing good works in the name of Jesus will not get you into heaven. Jesus says, do you know how many people will tell me all the good things that they did in my name, but I'll tell them, depart from me, for I never knew you because you chose to live a life of disobedience. So being in the church, having a cross around your neck, having a cross tattooed on your body, is no guarantee of a genuine faith in Jesus Christ that will land you in heaven. See, Jesus died for all of us so that anybody in here, no matter what they have done, can be saved. And Jesus gives out an invitation to whoever wants to come and follow him. The whoever does not mean that everyone will be saved. See, if I had a billion dollars and you didn't know it, I could say anyone who comes after me after service... I'm going to give you $10,000. Come up to me after service. I'm going to give you $10,000. Some of you would say, he doesn't have any money. I'm headed out the door. Some of you would say, he may have it, but he's not going to give it away. And so you'll leave. Some of you would say, I'm not going to be made a fool of in one of Pastor Tom's jokes. So you'll leave. Some of you will start to come, but somebody will talk you out of waiting and you will leave. Some of you would say, I can't wait for service to be over so that I could get my money. See, the mere fact that I offered the money is no guarantee that you will accept it. The rejection of it doesn't destroy the offer, nor does it make the offer any more or any less true. A lot of people think that you're gonna be able to take your reputation to heaven with them. But the reputation that you have is going to stay here in the grave. But each of us will take our character with us. For those of us who miss going to hell because of our faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says that there is still a judgment waiting for us. This is the judgment for believers. This is not a judgment for unbelievers. It is called the judgment seat of Christ. It's at the judgment seat of Christ that our character is going to be on display for everyone to see. I share with you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The intent behind the judgment seat of Christ is to expose all the good that we have done in Christ while we were here on that earth. So that our reward can be given to us and Jesus can celebrate that we have glorified his name. See, God didn't save us to hide from the world. God didn't save you to put you on a shelf. 
God saved us to do a job that God had in mind before you were even born. That means God's agenda needs to have first place in our lives. The judgment seat of Christ is going to answer this one question for us. Who are you really? See, we all get one life. How much of that life do we give to God? As that percentage goes up, so does the reward in heaven. The greater the character, the greater the reward. The good news is that our character is only measured up against ourselves, which means the more that I, I allow Jesus to work in me, the more fully my character is going to become more like Christ. It doesn't have to do anything with what Jesus was doing in somebody else's life, in my husband's life, in my daughter's life, in my children's life, in my neighbor's life, in my, uh, in, in my fellow employee's life. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with what did you decide to do with the times and the opportunities that God gave you. What will be said of your life at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you really want to go into eternity knowing that you could have made a difference, but because of your choices, you missed out? Do you really want to say, I can't afford to spend more time with you. I couldn't afford to share the gospel with other people. I couldn't afford to make a difference. I couldn't afford to come to God's house. Well, we're encouraged to be diligent. To present ourselves to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. See, the judgment seat of Christ is intended to be a celebration. And it will be for those of us who are preparing for it today. All the pain and the suffering that you've ever gone through for Jesus. All the breaking that you've ever gone through because he needed to use you. All the sacrifices you've ever made for the cause of Christ. Going without certain things so that you could be a blessing to others. All the treasure that you ever have laid up in heaven for the cause of Christ will all be credited to your account on that day. The picture of the judgment seat of Christ is not as Christ as a judge in a courtroom. But the Apostle Paul in a, in a later scripture compares it to an athletic event in which crowns and trophies are awarded to those who have won the race. See, although God will have set it up as a celebration, for some of us, it will be a time of sorrow and regret. Because all of the good works that could have been done, or that have been done, the Bible says will be tested by the fires of heaven. Those works which have been produced by a character in touch with Jesus are going to come out as gold. You ever try to put gold in the fire? Comes out the same. Purified. But those that have started said, God, I'm going to, but <clears throat> I can't now. God, I will, but I... Mm. Now's not the right time. Those works who have not completed, the Bible says, will be burned up. It's possible that on that day that you'll have your name called only to discover that everything that you've ever done was in vain. That the time that you spent on this earth was in vain. That there is in fact no reward waiting for you. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 teaches that there will be some who will have nothing to show for the life that Christ has given them. Man, that's sad. The Bible says that some people will only be saved as if they're escaping through the fires. Know what that means? They barely made it. They didn't do anything with anything that the Lord Jesus gave them. See, if we're allowing the character of Christ to have its way in our lives, we'll have rewards waiting for us. It's not that we have to get up and do something great for God. That we have to set up some sort of organization. That we need to become some sort of apostle for God. It's a matter of letting God do something great in us. In the way that we love the people who are around us. In the way that we choose to address the pain and minister to the needs around us. If we are saying yes to the will of God, when our desires are crying out for something else, I'm going to tell you your character is growing. If we are standing alone for righteousness and truth, when others are choosing pleasure and compromise, our character is growing. If we are choosing to endure obstacles to reach our goals, rather than bending the rules to get there quicker, our character is growing. If we are serving in the kingdom when our bodies would rather be lounging in front of the TV, our character is growing. If we are choosing and enduring for the right thing rather than the easy thing, our character is growing. Only then, only then could we honestly say, as the Apostle Paul shared in 2 Timothy 4 verses 6 through 8, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. I have one question, friend. Who are you really? Are you prepared to be exposed by the judgment seat of Christ? When your name is called, will you be commended or will you be rebuked? Who are you? Really?